Well, it's good to be here with you. Uh, it's a privilege, actually, to be part of the preaching series. Cam uh, opened last week on the Sermon of the Mount and um, uh, other members of the preaching team and Cam will see that out until Easter, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so if I could have my um, overhead up, thank you very much. So Jesus gathers, or a crowd gathers to him really, and he leads them up onto a mountain. Maybe it had views like that. That might have been a bit distracting actually. But anyway, they were up on a mountain apparently. And Jesus spends some time teaching those that know him and love him and want to know more about him what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The kingdom of heaven was way different to any other kingdom ideas they would have had, including ideas about kingdom of God. The Pharisees had ideas about the kingdom of God. They thought it was about personal holiness, being different to everybody else, being holier than thou pretty much. And they had a huge list of do's and don'ts that they thought made them acceptable to God. We know that Jesus had serious conflicts with them about hypocrisy. They looked okay on the outside. But nothing actually changed with all of those rules on the inside. We know that there were Sadducees as well. Strange bunch by our view because they didn't believe in anything supernatural apart presumably from God. They didn't believe in the life to come. didn't believe in angels or demons. And so this life was all they had. And so the Sadducees at that time were a very influential group of people. They were tied with all of the um, secular leadership, Jewish leadership, and they were on the council as well. But they didn't know about spiritual encounters <laughs> at all. Another group of people at that time, the Zealots, believed that what was important was to militarily win back the nation. And so they were a militia and then there were the Essenes. The Essenes were a spiritual group of people who genuinely sought God. but They thought they had to go out into the desert to do it, keep themselves apart. Jesus teaches something new here. He teaches that the kingdom of heaven is for everybody and it is for everyday life. It's for the faithful. So he begins his series with the Beatitudes. We looked Cam looked last week at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word that we use, beatitude, is actually based on the old French and Latin word. It just means blessed, blessed. But who gets blessed in this life? And as we look at the beatitudes, they're strange kind of pairings of blessings because they're spiritual blessings. They actually only come to those people who have had an encounter with God, who are seeking God, who are connected with God and can receive the spiritual blessings that he has for us. So, the faithful are poor in spirit. They're poor in spirit. We can't actually know that until we compare ourselves with God. One look at God, one encounter with him and we know that we're poor in spirit compared to him. 
And poor in spirit is similar to meek, which we will look at later. But first of all, we're going to look at the next beatitude, which was blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed meaning happy, balanced, level, even to be congratulated. Are those that mourn? (laughs) Straight away we sense that that Jesus actually is going deeper than just grieving and mourning. But let's not make any mistake. Jesus understands what this life is like. He understands what trial and trouble and grief is like. And he cares about that. And this scripture is for us as we go through that kind of mourning. In fact, when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he grieved. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Now Jesus had come to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was going to do that. But to see this mourning, to experience this grief, troubled him deeply. And then when he was taken to the tomb, he stood outside with the mourners and he wept. He wept. Jesus, the Son of God, came to show us what Jesus is like, what God is like, what God wants to do in our lives. He stood outside and he wept and grieved with people. Our God understands our grief. And he's the one who promises us comfort. When Jesus um, preached possibly his first uh, message in a synagogue, he was handed the book of Isaiah. And so he opened it to this place. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus, Messiah, he says later in the Sermon Mount, of the Mount came to fulfil the Old Testament law, came to fulfil it. Here he is giving us a beatitude, a blessing that comes right out of the Old Testament. This is who he was, the representative of the God who knows our trials, who knows the things that keep us captive, whether it's poverty or sin, or trials, or health. He's come to free us, and he's come to comfort those that mourn. But we know that God is not just concerned about this life. He's also concerned for our eternal life. And so what are the things that are deeper that run under this understanding that God comforts us when we're grieving a a loved one. Jesus went on 
to preach the same message that John the Baptist had opened with. From this time, he said this, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Every one of the people that was at the mount that day would have been familiar with this. This was Jesus' core message. It was the message he gave to his disciples to preach as well. Repent and believe the good news. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from our way to God's way. We cannot have a genuine encounter where we are blessed by God, where we are touched by God without a turning to him. If your way has been a long way from God, if you're deep into really serious sin and ignoring God and you've been living for yourself, then you might have to do a whole 180 to turn back to God. That's repentance. But it's also for us. When we're convicted of sin and God says, turn back to me, to my way. Follow where I am going. Repentance is something that often comes when we are tried within us, we're tested. One commentator put it this way, the purpose of God's allowing us to suffer is to see our own sin, not another's sin. (laughs) It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to see another's sin, but it takes a lot of grace to see our own. The fact is, if we can avoid mourning, we will. If we can avoid suffering, we will if we can avoid seeing our own sin or that we are in the wrong, we will. If we can avoid saying sorry, I got it wrong, we will. So, when we are able to see our own sin, we rise above nature, we rise above that which has no natural explanation. The ability to see our own sin and understand it for what it is is a supernatural thing. It comes from the Spirit of God. And emotional pain is rather like physical pain. If we have physical pain in our body or something's not right, we investigate it. We know it's a problem. We know there's a cause. And similar things happen to us when we're in emotional pain, when we're grieving and mourning for something. That's a good time to be reflecting and saying, God, examine me. What do you see? So that's another one of the blessings that results in comfort because we are hurting. And a final blessing, as we walk along with God, as we follow Jesus where he is taking us, we begin to take on the heart of God We begin to see people and see life the way he sees them. We start to hurt for people that we may not know when they're in crisis, when they're mourning, when there's tragedy, when they're lost. And oh, what a blessing and a comfort it is if we can come alongside and tell them the good news so that they too are saved. What a joy and a comfort and a blessing. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. I take that as a promise and I pray it regularly. I pray 
that over people who have lost someone that they love. And I pray it for myself. God, I need your comfort. I need your touch right now. I promise. What a true blessing. So Jesus went on to say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. As Jesus fleshes out the Old Testament, he's taking another of the principles that is in um, the Old Testament scriptures, the law. Psalm 37, verses 10 to 11 says, In a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Psalm 37 has a number of echoes of the Beatitudes. You might want to look that up during the week. But of course, Jesus fulfills the law and so he augments it. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit not just the land of Israel, but the whole earth. When Revelation 21 describes the earth after God's judgment and the wicked are no more on the earth, John saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Then the Alpha and Omega who sat upon the throne says in a loud voice, those who are victorious will inherit this and I will be their God. And they will be my children. The earth belongs to God. And he has set a day that his children, us, will inherit it all. The wicked will be judged and God's children will be shown to be righteous. And we will inherit the earth. Hallelujah. So, who are the meek then? The dictionary gives us two different meanings. Showing patience and humility, gentle. And a second meaning, easily imposed upon, submissive. I believe both of these meanings are part of what Jesus had in mind when he said, blessed are the meek. Humility is one of the most common synonyms for meek. A meek person is a humble person. Moses is an example of such a man. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth. Other versions translate meek as humble. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And there's a blessing attached to that. These are God's words, just a few verses down. Moses is faithful in all my house. When I speak to him face to face, Clearly and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. What a blessing. Humility enabled him to see God, to see the very form of God and to hear God speak, not in riddles, not in obscure scriptures or symbols, but to hear him speak clearly. I would say that that blessing is still part of those who are meek and humble and come to God. Expect God to speak to you. Go to him humbly and say, God, are you there? (laughs) Whatever it takes to get into his presence. Moses was not a weak man. He was a humble man. 
God chose Moses to lead approximately one million people, men, women and children, and all their flocks and herds, sheep, goats, cattle, camels, donkeys, through the wilderness for 40 years. They left Egypt 12 tribes and they crossed over the Jordan into the land of the Palestinians and became a nation. Moses was not a weak man. One of the definitions of meekness is strength under restraint. Certainly when we get to look at Jesus, that's what we see. Moses was a strong man. Was he someone who was easily imposed upon and submissive? I would suggest to you that he was prepared to be imposed upon. All of those people had questions and issues and conflicts and he was right at the centre of that, being available and helping them sort those things through. But you know, God wants us to be meek and humble before him. He doesn't expect us to be imposed upon by people and for us to be submissive to what people want. He wants us to hear his voice and be prepared to be imposed upon by God to say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Send me. So Jesus was there teaching the crowds, teaching them his principles. The most important thing he did was reveal who God truly is to us. One of the um, early Christian creeds talks about this. You know, Moses' humility qualified him to lead a people through the wilderness and to become a nation. Jesus' humility qualified him to be our saviour. Philippians 2, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. For he was God. He did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He didn't cling to his godhood. He didn't cling to his divinity. He became a man, a man who became a servant of all, a slave, in obedience to God. Obedience even to death on a cross. What do we cling to? What do we think of as our privileges that we're not prepared to give up? Scripture actually calls us slaves of righteousness. Are we meek enough? That we're prepared to serve God as servants and slaves? Is that what Jesus requires? This is what Jesus said about himself and about us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We like that part, right? 
Sounds good. Let's get rid of our burdens. Let's get rid of this weariness that life brings sometimes. And he goes on though to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke or my way or my teaching or my work. That symbol is actually a symbol of work because it's the yoke, the wooden harness that joined two oxen together as they ploughed a field. Jesus says, take my yoke, my way upon you and learn from from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, if you're gentle and humble in heart, you get to say that you're gentle (laughs) and humble in heart. Otherwise, it doesn't ring true, am I right? That's who Jesus is. And when we go to him, we find rest for our souls. For Jesus' yoke, Jesus' way is easy and his burden that he swaps for our heavy burden, his burden is light. So even though God, all-powerful, could come and he could make us obey him, he could protect us from any sort of temptation, or any sort of trial. But he loves us enough to humble himself, to give us free will. We get to choose whether we're going to respond to God or not. The way of humility for us is actually part of the way we're made. We're created in God's image. And humility is not a heavy burden, says Jesus. It's a light burden. It's what fits us best. You know, you see a lot of not very humble people around. People who blow their own trumpet, who work hard to be the top in their field, whether it's sport or entertainment or government. People who actually want to rule the world. But what are they like? They're not humble in heart. What kind of people are they? It sits heavily on a person. Pride. But humility sits easily upon us. And Jesus taught about this often. We're just going to look at one more passage and tease it out a bit. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So we know that Jesus cares for us, that God cares for us in our trials. But Jesus says here, take up your cross and follow me. Life is often difficult. Life is often a burden. Life is often wearying. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, whatever it is, and follow me. We're called to go through the difficulties of this life without losing faith, continuing to trust the one who may or may not end whatever it is. We pray to a God who heals us, 
We don't stop praying for that. He affirms he is the God who heals us. And we pray to God for protection. He is the God who promises to protect us. Nevertheless, in our life we will have trouble and Jesus says, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. It takes humility to do that, to keep trusting God in that. He goes on. Whoops, sorry. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. We certainly see people grabbing on to life. And let's be honest, we're tempted to do it for ourselves. You know, life will be good if we just earn a bit more money, get that pay rise, work a bit harder. Or whatever it is that that makes you get through life. We see lots of people climbing the corporate ladder, (laughs) doing whatever they can to be elected into office making all kinds of promises and then changing their mind afterwards. Part of trying to save their own life. But Jesus wants us to lose our lives for his sake. Because that's when we find it. He's the author of life. He's the one who promises fullness of life. Real life is found in Jesus and wherever he leads us. You know, Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. He scorned it for the joy set before him. What was the joy? (laughs) The joy of seeing many, millions, billions actually of people come to glory, come to know Jesus as their saviour, come to know God and call him Father. Can we put aside what we think leads us to happiness for that joy, the joy that God has for us, to be a part of the salvation and redemption of the whole earth? For what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What are we trying to gain from our lives? If we give up striving for what we think we want in life, Jesus' plan is to give us life in all its fullness. That's his promise. God's plan for those who are humble is to give us a full life here and in the age to come, the whole earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it, swallowing your pride, stepping out of your comfort zone, saying yes when God's asking you to do the difficult thing. Or just, you know, you're out there on the outer bit, aligning yourself back with what you know Jesus wants for your life. Today is a good day for us to pray like Jesus prayed. Not my will, Father, but your will be done in my life. We have such a wonderful Saviour. Why do we hold back? 
I want to finish up with three questions that uh, are very similar to what Cam used last week. I thought these are questions that we should continue to reflect upon. What are you holding on to that is clashing with Jesus' way for your life? You need to sit and think about that a bit. What are you holding on to? What are you not giving up is what that means. You're holding on to something you don't need. What are you not prepared to give up that is clashing and forming an obstacle and dragging on your feet so that you can't follow where Jesus wants you to go? And a second one. How do we understand blessing? If we change how we think about blessing, we will be more prepared to let go of the things that we think are blessing us. Blessing is not simply about health and wealth and prosperity and people's approval. Those things ultimately will leave you empty. Ultimately, they'll just come up dry. But what blesses us is what God has for us. That definition of blessed, happy, level, balanced, envious, envied by others to be congratulated. That's blessed. That's what God has for us. And thirdly, are you humble before God? Cam asked yes, uh, last week, are you poor in spirit? You want to stay that way. Are we humble before God? Are we meek? Are we prepared to take the steps that we need to stay humble? Thank you, worship team. Would you like to come up? Um, let's just pray. Yeah.